You're listening to the Sight and Sound podcast about the Our Video Fright Fest, which took place from the 22nd to the 26th of August 2019 in Leicester Square in London. It was the 20th edition of the festival with 78 features, number of shorts and an appearance from Dario Argento. And I am Virginie Selavi to discuss this with you. We have Kim Newman and Anton Bittel. Hi. Hello. <laughs> so one of the main themes, the dominant themes this year was the devil, the satanic theme, demonic possession, mm. that sort of thing. That does seem to be the, the zeitgeist thing at the moment. It came up over and over again and I'm not sure if it's just to do with the way the genre works in terms of waves and movements and subgenres that bubble up, or if it's to do with the tastes of the programmers of, of this festival maybe swinging towards this. I think quite a lot of how all genres work, but horror in particular, is you get these sort of tentpole hits whose influence then percolates back into the, the movies. And... It strikes me that the tenpole hits we're talking about now are Get Out, Hereditary, and The Witch. The simplistic way of looking at it is saying that, yeah, you have a hit movie and then a whole bunch of people rip it off. But actually, horrors always worked in a much more sophisticated way than that, in that you get a theme and then people play variations on it. Sometimes they consciously refer... To, I mean, I know a lot of people said that, for instance, Curtis Harder's Spiral was like Get Out for Gay People. But it was also kind of like Hereditary in its plot structure. And so what happens is that, you know, these tentpole-type movies then get absorbed back into genre. It's one of the things I like about Fright Fest, you know, watching essentially 78 movies, so, uh, not in our case over a weekend, but over a quite concentrated period, is you can take the temperature of the genre, you can see what is in, and right now what is in is the patriarchy being represented by demonic conspiracies, lots of robes, lots of chanting, and even we saw a lot in films was lines of salt as defense against demons. This turned up independently in five or six movies. I'm not sure where that came from and why it's current now, but it is. But the, the demonic cults we're seeing are not so much representations of actual folkloric demons, but um, as a way of saying that the, the people who are giving us a hard time are in fact directly connected with the devil. Um, maybe that represents a kind of zeitgeisty despair about oppression, but this was a theme that turned up over and over this year. And it's not just that the devil gets all the best tunes. He gets many, many different kinds of tunes. There was an anthology of this film called For We Are Many, which every single story was rooted in one demon or another. And they really were remarkably varied um, in, in their storylines, the kind of narratives they told, and also in the kind of demonology they presented. And then it was just one film after another that seemed to dance around this theme of Satanism or some kind of demonic conjuring. But they were all very different films, and we're dealing with different themes. I mean, for example, Porno is taking the, the division that you can still see today, the polarised division in the United States between pornography on the one hand or the sort of the drive towards sexuality and Puritanism on the other hand and just showing the way in which those two are mismatched but always have to coexist in American society. It's about 
a group of young Christians who work for a Christian cinema, and they're all virgins, but they discover an ancient film reel while working there, which is a bit like a kind of Kenneth Anger sex magic yeah. ritual, and it conjures up a succubus who then preys upon all of their hidden desires. I thought the funniest line in it was where they're watching this bizarre art movie and the girl says, are all porn films like this? <laughs> and it's like, I feel that way about horror sometimes. You look at these things, you think, are all horror films like this? And the varied tone you get. Because the thing people say about genre movies who don't watch them is, oh, they're all the same. Uh, they manifestly aren't. Even when they're telling the same stories. In the way that that we had a film called Satanic Panic, which is essentially the same story as a movie called Ready or Not. They're both about sort of caricatured rich people making deals with the devil in order to maintain wealth, power and, and youth. But their tone, although they're both rather comic films, are very, very different. And we even had serious versions of, of this theme, you know, in that Spiral, which is very low-key in its comic aspects, although they are there, is a much more head-on upsetting version of the, yeah, the rich will always get you. I think another aspect in that satanic theme was also the characters who lose their grip on reality mm -hmm. and where you're not quite sure exactly if they are actually possessed by mm -hmm. an entity or if they are just slowly descending into madness, as was the case in The Wind and Daniel Isn't Real. And The Black String. Yeah. Yeah. All three of those films deal in people who either are succumbing to mental illness and a kind of mental breakdown, mm -hmm. or they're being possessed by demons. Yes. And mm -hmm. um, all three of those films, I think, leave it entirely ambiguous at the end as to which way you're going to read it. And I think that that was also an important theme, I think, which also chimes with the times, which is the difficulty of finding out what really is the truth about right, what you're seeing, right, what you're perceiving. I think there was also a bit of that in feedback where it's all about sort of playing with the perceptions or assumptions of the viewer. So this satanic theme was also connected to that sort of worry about what is actually happening? What are we seeing? What are the facts in this? And that's one of the real differences, in fact, between Satanic Panic and Ready or Not. Their mm. plots are very similar, but in Ready or Not, it's an open question as to whether the demon in which this family believes actually exists. Yeah. And in fact, just they, some of them don't believe in it, which I thought was a genuinely clever moment. There's a bit where the kind of most wavery member of the cult gets his phone out and Googles, Pats with the devil, bullshit or not. Whereas in Satanic yeah. Panic... Yeah. There's no ambiguity yes, at yes, all. It's no, that the yes. demonology is put in your yeah. face right from the start. Yeah. You know it's real because you're watching all of these magical things happening yeah. around you. And, and this satanic theme was also connected to the idea of people on YouTube or doing vlogs, that <laughs> yeah, sort of yeah. thing, being killed. Yeah, that turned up in a ton of films this year. I mean, I think I've seen it in a bunch of other horror films recently, but obviously Death of a Vlogger and Dead Con are the most on-the-nose versions of this theme. Uh, there was also Ghost Killers versus Bloody Mary and a couple of other films. Halloween Party. Yeah, yeah, incidentally, people... It's like... It used to be that if you're in a horror film and you're uh, on an expedition to a mummy's tomb, you were doomed. Now it seems just having a YouTube channel and poking around haunted places is an invitation to 
get done away with. And we are nervous. We're all mm. nervous about the lack of control that we have yeah. over anything that we put online and the fact yeah. that there are sinister forces out there that might be using whatever information or data we put online for their own purposes yeah. that aren't and always And we are in our on interest. a podcast saying this. Yes. <laughs> so it's like we, we are you know, defying the devil even as we speak. And actually I found Death of a Blogger and DeadCon, both of which were on the Discovery screen, so not on the major part of the programming. They both strike me as being really absolutely up to the moment pin in this date films in a way that horror because it is quite often a low budget a high turnover genre can be topical in a way that sort of more mainstream cinema is much more like those ocean liners that take 20 miles to stop or turn around. Horror can sometimes turn on a dime and pick up exactly what's happening now. Absolutely, because mm. the, the plot of Death of a Vlogger is actually very similar to a previous film called Lake Mungo, mm. but the difference is that it is, it's updated to the internet. Mm. And it's also, this, I think, the scariest film of the weekend for me. Do you, do you want to remind us of the plot of Death? It's about a vlogger who may or may not be dead, we're not sure, who, he's really a comedy vlogger on YouTube, but suddenly, by chance, something ghostly is captured in one of his videos and he becomes a viral sensation. And then you're not sure whether the subsequent vlogs, which show more of these sort of, sort of supernatural incursions, are part of his attempt to capitalise on the celebrity which this is bringing him and their fakes, or whether there really is something supernatural and inexplicable happening in the background of the films that he's making. And it plays this line between those two, the two horns of that ambiguity, really, really closely to the very end. Yeah, um, and Deadcon goes really deeply into the origins of social media and the internet it, to the point where the source of the haunting is the embittered guy who had the idea before the tech was there to spread it out in the world whose hotel room where his failed attempt to introduce social media in the early 80s is now invaded by the a convention of YouTube influencers who are like his debased descendants and who are then haunted by... We're not sure if it's a ghost or an artificial intelligence, but that's kind of cool as well. There was a really fun, stupid film called The Drone about a possessed drone as well this year, which may well be the most on-the-nose 2019 horror movie ever. I mean, it's one of those things that there is a part of Fright Fest which is just fun, and that was one of those. Yeah, yeah totally. it was like, yeah. And, and that satanic theme again was connected to something very, very topical, which was the theme of difference. So it seemed to pick out a certain kind of difference in a number of films. Well, in Spiral in, was, was the most obvious one. Yeah, in Spiral, a gay couple move into a small town from the city with their daughter, and increasingly one of the couple comes to believe that there is a strange conspiracy in this sort of suburban small town. And the suburban small town, it's a very kind of white, mm. conservative, middle-class place, but everyone there is quite liberal and mm. seems to be quite nice. And the implication of the film is that white, middle-class, American conservative values can only be maintained by feeding on otherness and the fear of otherness. And it is a little bit like Get Out, except that instead of shifting the focus of Get Out from race to sexuality... It actually generalises that into a, a broader study of otherness yeah. and difference. And the, yeah. the lead character is gay and black as well, yeah, which so is always never mentioned. Yeah. But one of the things I really liked about Spiral was that the lead character was the person who in the average, as it were, gay indie relationships drama would be the outrageous boyfriend's second character. Yeah. And the fact that you react to him like that at the beginning and then suddenly... 
It's his head you're in. It's his paranoia. It's his worry. And the the father, the more straight-seeming assimilationist, what's the gay equivalent of an Uncle Tom, is not the guy you're following through the story. I thought that was one of the strongest performances we saw on the weekend. And it's one of these films which is set actually several decades ago. Mm. In fact, it's set in multiple periods, yeah. several decades yeah. ago. But because of that shifting in time, you know mm. that it is a sort of curse or a, a cultic conspiracy yeah. that is that lasts forever and is mm. definitely leading up to the present day. And it felt like actually one of the most urgent films yeah. in terms and the of thing its that, themes it, that I saw. It, yeah, it, it tells you who the, the victims were in the 80s, the 90s and the noughties and then asks you what you think the next mm. wave yeah. will be. And I like the way, as mm. you, you've mentioned, the duration and I like the way that the occult aspect of it is connected to this worry in certain parts of the more conservative part of the population about change and how that is turned into a horror kind of motif but it goes from something very real and I thought that was quite clever as well. And I love the way it completely invents its own demonology from scratch. There were no references that I could see to anything that's kind of established as... It's one of... In doing our diagnosis of genre, we weren't quite sure how it happened but it seemed... About half of the films we saw at Fright Fest were Canadian. And Spiral is Canadian, but very explicitly isn't set in Canada. Most yeah. Canadian films these days go for a sort of, OK, we admit it's Toronto thing. Whereas in Spiral, you saw that Stars and Stripes really early on. Yeah, and they talk about American pioneer history, uh, revolutionary history. It's uh, not just Australia. ripping on Get Out, but yeah. also on Us. And yes. it is about yeah. the US very, yeah. very overtly. Yeah. And it's not just the difference in terms of sexualities, also in terms of class that we've seen across films. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Satanic Panic, Ready or Not, Spiral, The Dark Red are all using the kind of demonic conspiracy as a way of showing the way in which American elites are happy to sacrifice the proletariat proletariat to their own ends. Um, So they're very much films about class rifts and just find a palatable genre frame to play with that material. It was very interesting, actually, to see so many films on that one theme alongside one another over the weekend. And in Satanic Panic, what do we see exactly about class? Um, Well, it's uh, the main character in the film is uh, a young woman who has just got a minimum wage job as um, a pizza delivery girl. Um, And her first job, well, her first day's job takes her out of town to a very leafy, affluent suburb where the mansion that she visits with her delivery happens to be hosting a satanic ritual to raise Baphomet. And because... As it happens, she is the only virgin on the premises. Suddenly they have an interest in her that they otherwise... You know, they ignore her when she arrives and certainly don't tip her. But the moment they realise she's the only virgin or the only virgin girl around, they turn their attention to her and she needs to try to defy them. And she does, over the course of the yeah. film. Yeah, and that's, um, that's another thing, I guess, that this satanic theme was connected to. In terms of the difference, it's also the gender difference. And we see that in The Wind, where the main character may or may not be possessed by a spirit that remains quite ill-defined... I mean, there is the idea of the devil, as we see in the pamphlet. So it's a young couple arriving in a very isolated spot in America to set up a house, and they find it very difficult, and another couple arrives, and the interaction between the two couples leads to a number of bloody encounters. But yeah, We should say it's a Western as well as a horror yeah, film. Western, yeah, yeah. yeah, and I think yeah. we both thought that there was some inspiration from, yeah, from the Victor Sjöström's film, The yeah. Wind, uh, with Lillian Gish, yeah. which is also about a pioneer woman being driven crazy yeah. by the wind yeah. Yeah, and isolation and emptiness and 
because the Western courses, the genre that is most engaged with American history and, as it were, the, the original sin of America, one of the things I really liked about The Wind is it was a, it's set in a part of the prairie that didn't even have Native Americans, that is just completely empty. Yeah. And, of course, emptiness, uh, deserts, invite things in yeah. that aren't necessarily people. And, uh, and as in the original film, it's less about a particular entity than about the forces of nature mm-hmm. uh, itself. It's about the wind, it's about around her, it's about the animals, all of this having a spirit and the interaction between the human and that natural world. And it was one of the, the most female films, wasn't it? We had quite a few films by female directors, but I think The Wind is an all-female crew. And I think sh- you see the influence of that in the extra scene that is added mm-hmm. to the, maybe not original, but I suppose mm-hmm. they were aware of that film because it's too similar, but in the fact that it then revolves around childbirth. Mm. and having a child and the birth itself. Mm. And I think you, you see the very female aspect of that relationship of the character to the nature around her, but also to her own body. In maybe the, and you see the influence of that mm. all-female crew, maybe. Yeah, there. it is a foundational myth mm. for the status of women in America today. And you can see with these pioneering farmers, they're the first there, they have one neighbour who has come after them. Mm. And you can see that they are, they're really planting the seeds for... America's entire future and it's one in which women are isolated and disempowered and left to themselves without any real choice or agency and the results are yeah. ugly. And if I <laughs> so, again another thing I liked about as we had quite a lot of films about women being driven to extremes and, and several films about women becoming monstrous in order to fight back or say whereas in the wind the guys aren't particularly oppressive. <laughs> you know, it's they're not like, oppressive, they're but not, they're also not... They're not supportive. They're not supportive. Yeah. And I think that's exactly it. Yeah. They're not understanding. So they're yeah. not bad guys at all, yeah. but they don't understand yeah. what's happening to the women. Yeah. And I think that's kind of... And it's got that point. great opening moment of the two guys standing outside the cabin while a very messy childbirth is taking place inside and that the surviving woman, as it were, comes out covered in blood. I might add that there were two other very odd westerns over the course of the weekend because Criminal Audition, although it's really a crime film, opens with a very spaghetti western style of credits and with music that sounded like it was by Morricone and Why Don't You Just Die, a film set in modern Russia in an apartment, is basically a western confined to a flat. (laughs) And then to go back to the the theme of the surviving women, we had some particularly strong examples in A Good Woman is Hard Mm. to Find and in Feedback and they were both again sort of of riffs on, on current debates and issues, but quite subtly done, I think, and quite done in a very complex mm. manner that sort of led the audience to question their own mm. assumptions, particularly feedback, I thought. A good woman is hard to find, takes young Irish widow who is living in Belfast and um, who is dealt with in quite social realist terms. It's almost like watching a film by Ken Loach. And her storyline of deprivation and struggle to feed her two children, her two very young children, one of whom is traumatised by what happened to her husband, is kind of offset by kind of very bold genre element, which is the introduction of some over-the-top criminals who make her life hell. And she, although she doesn't really have a huge amount of choice in the film, she rises to the occasion in keeping herself and her children safe against what really are awful male forces. We've talked about it in previous years, but the big theme in contemporary horror is this sort of tiger mommy thing, isn't it? The woman who will go to any lengths to protect the kids. And that, 
let's say, you know, expressed in, in one term in, in this, but we saw it in a bunch of other parental angst, worry. And quite often horror is characterised as a, a genre for kids, you know, where your viewpoint characters are teenagers. And we had a few films like that as well. But overall, this anxiety of parenthood, it's interesting that Hereditary starts out as one type of anxiety and then switches to another. But certainly that influence, again, is, is all permeating. Yeah, about protecting, protecting your children, yeah. which we had in Freaks and mm. in The Deeper You Dig as mm. well, and in Knives and Skin to an extent. And maybe precisely the anxiety about not being able to protect your children. So in The Good Woman, it's hard to find, I guess she, she kind of does quite a good job. And as you mentioned before in Feedback, our feedback, which is set entirely in a radio studio, is about a, a popular programme, a political programme, being interrupted by two interlopers who very violently take over the show because they are seeking a kind of public confession from one of the two DJs, or from both of the DJs, really. And one of the assailants is a father whose child actually has disappeared, and he's driven by this need to find out what happened to her. But in fact, well, it's very hard to talk about the film, actually, without spoiling without it. Spoiling, there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a two of the absolutely pivotal characters in the film are female, and it, in fact, ends with an image of a woman who we know is having to make a choice. And I thought that feedback is just, it's such a tightly constructed drama. It has Aristotelian unity of time and place. It takes place over one night in the studio. You never really leave the confines of the studio, even though quite a lot of it is focused upon reconstructing what happened years earlier. What I particularly liked about it, and to me that made it one of the strongest films in the festival, is the fact that generally... Uh, it is about truth and lies and what we are led to believe and the authority um, of certain people who we may then be led to believe even though we shouldn't. And the issue of gender is connected to that. And I think that's what was so clever in the film, that it's about the general themes of, of truth and lies and you have the gender aspect. And it makes you question a number of things and it is connected to things that are happening in politics but also in terms of the Me Too movement and uh, those kind of gender issues. So that's why it was so strong, I think. Yeah, that's, absolutely. Yeah. Eddie Marson plays the main character in the film. He plays a, a, a kind of shock jock. And he, when we first presented to him, he's a figure not unlike Eddie Marson's actual public persona. He's mm. very much of the left. He's railing against Brexit and the corruption mm. of Brexit. And by the end, he's transformed into a Trumpian figure. And his claims to allegiance to the truth, absolute allegiance to the truth, are immediately undermined when it comes to telling the truth about himself when he's evasive and has a very postmodern notion of what truth is. So, yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And he's, yeah, he ends up quite explicitly a Trumpian figure. And indeed, his relationship to his daughter, I think, is being quite directly linked to the relationship of Trump to his own daughter. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, so in terms of that central relationship between parents and children, which was also a main feature of the festival, we also had uh, Knives and Skin, which I know you particularly liked. Yeah, I think Jennifer Reader's Knives and Skin was probably my favourite film at Fright Fest, although I should add the caveat that it's not remotely a horror film. I think maybe for its first three minutes, it presents imagery that flirts with the idea of it being something like a giallo, because you see a woman clutching a knife in a room that's lit with neon colours, and that is the last time it engages in any way with horror. It's really a kind of mosaic portrait of a modern community in freefall after a teenage girl has disappeared. Um, it very much plays on Twin Peaks as an inspiration, although I'm not really convinced there's anything supernatural mm. happening in the film. And it, it's an ensemble film, it looks at 
variety of characters, you have to have probably a, quite a high tolerance for quirk to enjoy mm. the film because it is quite quirky. But things that it had to say about young people trying to find their way through a patriarchal system and trying to just look out for any future that they have for themselves while they're still singing the same old tunes they're literally singing the same tunes that everyone was singing in the 80s I just found it really compelling and it's also an absolutely beautiful film visually very very visually striking and sort of connected to that theme as well we had another reinvention of the Frankenstein myth with Depraved Depraved yeah by Larry Fessenden who actually is one of the few auteur filmmakers there are plenty of people here uh, I suppose Lucky McKee whose Kindred Spirits is there has got a, a body of work behind him but quite a lot of the films we're talking about are first or second features quite often and decently Fright Fest if they give people a shot with their first feature will bring them back and so we've seen some of these filmmakers grow but Larry Fessenden, I think, is the the least appreciated modern master of, of horror. And yeah, I think Depraved, his take on Frankenstein, it's actually his second go at Frankenstein. He loves the big themes of horror. He's done a, a vampire movie and he's done kind of a werewolf film. And this is his restating of the basic themes of Frankenstein. And there's a reason why we've been telling this story for 200 years, because there are so many layers of meaning that can be teased out of it. And I think that this is a particularly canny certainly compared to the the Saskia sisters rabbit which is sort of also a frankenstein story and also actually a, a vampire story and it's kind of flashy and fun and and silly and all over the place but superficial and surfacey in a way that Fessenden really pulls the scars apart and gets into the what does this story mean how do you feel about what is a monster which may be the big question of horror what is monstrous what is depraved? I like the fact that in Depraved, the central character who becomes the monster, but when we yeah. first meet him isn't, yeah. is already struggling to find integrity <laughs> and um, doesn't have a job, is reluctant to become a father. And in a sense, when he gets torn apart and put mm. back together again. It really is just a monstrous version of what yeah. it was when we first met him. And it goes through this thing that's in Frankenstein. Is We're not worried about mad science anymore. We're worried about the people who, who finance mad science. <laughs> the people who, who will walk away from this with the patents and the proprietary software. Mm. Those are the scary people, not the people in the laboratory. Well, that seems like a good point to stop. So that was the Sight and Sound podcast about the 2019 Freud Fest with Kim Newman, Anton Bittel and me, Virginie Servi.